Hey, Pastor Adam here. Hi, Church. Hi, New Life family. We're into our second week of lockdown. Can you believe it? And we're about to enter our third. And I pray you and your family are all doing okay in the midst of it all. You know, today is Palm Sunday, and every year, Christians around the world, and this year is no exception, Christians around the world celebrate this part of the Easter story, which is sometimes called the triumphant entry. It's a it's a pretty significant event. It's uh, I say that because it's mentioned in all four Gospels. It's where, if you know the story, where Christ rode on the colt of a donkey. He entered Jerusalem, fulfilling the messianic prophecy that you find in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Let me read this scripture to you from Matthew 21. It says, As they, meaning Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of of olives. That's significant. Remember that, the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, because I guess it's kind of like, what's he doing? He's taking the donkey. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. That's Zechariah 9 verse 9. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on the colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, it says, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? You know, when I read this story, I always wonder what caused the buzz? What caused the buzz? What got everyone so excited? What got everyone so fired up? I mean, it wasn't like it was the first time Jesus had been to Jerusalem. He'd been there before many times, but but not with this kind of reaction. What was it about this visit that got everyone so excited? What was it about this visit that attracted very large crowds, people lining the roads, all the folks laying down their cloaks, people waving palm leaves. I mean, it was a big deal. It was almost like royalty was coming. I remember when I was a, a young kid, I don't know how old I was, maybe four or, or, or five. I, I, I remember the queen came to our town. And everyone was so excited about it. They lined the streets. And I remember being at one of the main intersections uh, uh, of our town with with my family, with my mum and dad. My dad's British, so he was there with his Union Jack, I guess. I can't remember. But what I do remember is all the crowds, all the people. And I remember when the Queen's Rolls Royce turned the corner and came past us. I, I remember it was such a special time. I actually remember being able to look into the Rolls Royce and I saw the Queen doing her little... A little wave there. This, what was going on with Jesus, was like that. It was like royalty's coming. And hey, of course, the truth is royalty was coming. A king was coming. Not just a king, but the king of kings. But 
we know at that time people really weren't aware of that part of the story. So what was it that got everyone pumped? What was it that got everyone fired up? You know, last year, Anita and I had the opportunity to travel to Jerusalem. It was, for us, a life-changing experience. If you remember back in the days when we could all travel around the world, seems like a long time time ago, but it was a free trip for us. We were actually having dinner with one of our leadership friends, and over dinner, I known they had been to Israel, and I was talking uh, uh, to this friend and uh, about the trip, and uh, he suddenly said, do you want to go to Israel? I said, oh, we would love to go to Israel. And he said, hang on a minute. And he texts somebody. And then in a few moments, they, they text back. I don't know where he was texting. Uh, then, then he took a photo of us, sent it over to wherever he was texting uh, uh, to. And then basically he said, got a text back and said, hey, can you get to Israel in the next 10 days? If, if it was a whole free paid trip, would you go in the next 10 days? And I'm like, let me pray about it. Mm, yep, I think the Lord wants us to do that. So we joined what was called the Jerusalem Encounter Tour. You know, Israel's a phenomenal country and uh, Jerusalem, the city, which is referred to more than 800 times in the Bible, is just crazy. It's just alive with thousands, 4,000 years of history, making it one of the oldest cities on earth. But when you go there, you begin to get context of, uh, uh, context of places and spaces and how things and how events in the Bible fit together. One of the things I marveled at while there was just how small Israel is and how small Jerusalem and the old city is and how so much of the Bible speaks of events that either occurred in, around, or near Jerusalem. It was like Jerusalem's here and Bethlehem's just over there. It's just like, like a couple of k's away. Everything is so close. And so even in this story of the triumphant entry that we're talking about on this Palm Sunday, I realized every place and location mentioned in it is so close. While we stood on the Mount of Olives looking across to the eastern side of Jerusalem to the now sealed Golden Gate, which by the way is the gate that Jesus the Messiah entered through on his cult after traveling the short distance from where? Well, down from the Mount of Olives, through past the Garden of Gethsemane, across the Kidron Valley, and into the Temple Mount. It was a short journey of no more than 35 minutes walk from Bethpage, which is the village which is actually on, as the scripture said in Matthew, on the Mount of Olives. But why were people so excited? Why did the people line the road? Why did they follow in front and follow behind? Why, why did they... Why did, were they shouting and cheering? Why did the large crowds gather? Well, the answer is simple. It's because some days earlier, Jesus had raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. His village of Bethany saw it and couldn't ignore it. Lazarus was dead and was now alive. I mean, this was a miracle of epic proportions. Now, if you have been around the Bible for a while, you will know the story of Lazarus that's found in John chapter 11. In this chapter, it tells us that when Jesus finally did arrive at Bethany, he learned that his friend Lazarus was dead. And you've got to understand, he was really dead. He had been dead 
and in the tomb for four days. If you want to know how long that is, that's kind of 96 hours. That's 5,760 minutes. And I want to tell you, he was not only dead, he was decaying. As Martha, Lazarus' sister, puts it in the authorized King James Version in John chapter 11, verse 39, she said, Lord, he will stinketh. He will stinketh. He was not just dead. He was decaying. You know, I've been a volunteer firefighter for the last 12 years, and I, I know I've shared this story in a number of places. People ask me as a pastor, why, why are you a volunteer? Are you a chaplain? Or that? It's like, no, I just like riding on big red trucks with sirens. It's kind of a boy-to-man thing or something. And, um, uh, of course, and I also say it's done wonders for my marriage when my wife sees me in my uniform. She's like, you know, wow. So it's, it's very helpful in, in that department. But... But one of the things I know with being a firefighter and, and going to medical calls and so on is that when you have someone who is critically ill, whether it be through an accident or some kind of trauma, every second counts, certainly when it's a matter of life and death. A few weeks ago, we got a call to a cardiac arrest, and as we were heading in the truck to that address, we were told over the radio that the nearest ambulance was still some time away. And so we began, I guess, mentally preparing ourselves for our arrival. And then suddenly the atmosphere of the truck changed. The call dispatcher updated the call. And uh, uh, listen, like I say, the atmosphere in the truck changed. The radio person told us the person having a cardiac arrest was a young child. I can't remember if it was two or four years old, but we just knew it was a child. And to say things went up a notch would be an understatement. You know, every single one of us in that truck was on edge about what we were going to uh, confront. Thankfully, when we pulled up at the house, there was a St. John's paramedic car in the driveway. And I want to tell you that was such a relief as I looked across and looked at the paramedic's face. He was smiling, and that was a good sign. Uh, he, he was smiling. He was relaxed. He was not rushing around anywhere. And uh, he just said, look, look, the child had suffered uh, some convulsions due to a fast-rising uh, temperature. The paramedic actually happened to be just driving. He works in another town, just happened to be driving past when the call came, so was able to get there, which we were all like, thank you, uh, Jesus. And uh, I just want to tell you, the truck on the way back was very, very quiet. To be honest, it took me about two or three days to get over that because in, in that line of work, you know every second counts. They call it the golden hour. If you have a person, they've had an accident, you need to, if you can get them to hospital in that, that, that first hour, they have a much better chance of surviving. You know, in New Zealand, in an emergency, we dial 111. And it's interesting to me that the story of Lazarus begins in John chapter 11, verse 1. 111. In this story, Jesus received an emergency call. Master, the one you love is very sick. This was a day of no cell phones, but Martha and Mary had sent word to Jesus in the hope 
that he, the miracle worker, would come. For them, this was urgent. This was critical. It was an emergency. It was a time where every second counts. They're like, please come. But I find Jesus' response interesting. The Bible says that Jesus stays where he is for two more days. Certainly not an emergency response. He then doesn't just go to Bethany after that. The Bible says he goes to Judea, which, by the way, is in the opposite direction of Bethany. Not exactly the response you would expect from someone who has been asked for help in an emergency. It kind of appears, as I thought about this, like he doesn't actually care. In fact, when Jesus finally did arrive at Bethany, people said in John chapter 11, verse 37, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? It's kind of like that old question, if God is so good, why is there bad? And I do want to address that question in the coming weeks. But it's almost like, why God? Why is this? I mean, we, we could be asking that question right now. Why, why God? Why this? All that we're going through at the moment. If you loved us, you could have stopped this. And so they were saying, well, if he loved Lazarus so much, why didn't he do something to stop him from dying? It appears, God, they were saying, like you don't care. Now, we've got to understand God does not always respond to our requests in the manner and way that we think he should. We know eventually Jesus arrives in the village of Bethany. We know Lazarus is dead four days, 96 hours, 5,760 minutes. He was not only dead, as I said, he was decaying. But more than that, Martha and Mary's hope was dead. And maybe today, in the midst of all this trouble and all this trial that we are all walking through, maybe your hope feels like it's dead. What you were dreaming for in 2020, I mean, didn't we start off 2020 like we were pumped? This is such a cool year, 2020 vision. We can see it so clearly. And now it's like, man, what happened? I mean, maybe it feels like for you, you're, you're, you're your dreams, your hope of this year is kind of like dead. Maybe you were believing at the start of the year for a new job or a new house or whatever. And with every day that passes in this, in this, this lockdown, in this very new situation, with every day that passes, it's like decay is setting into your hopes. Decay is setting into your dreams. And, you know, maybe you've asked Jesus, like, where are you? This is a, Jesus, this is an emergency and it seems like he's too late. It might even appear or maybe you feel like, does he even care? But herein, can I say this? Herein lies the beauty and the power of this story and that Jesus can take that which is dead that which feels like it's over, that which feels like it's finished. He can take that which is decaying, that which even stinketh, that which is being even eaten away. He can take all of that and make it new. See, Jesus, he can take that which is dead, 
speak to it and give it new life. Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 43, Lazarus, come forth. And it says, he that was dead came forth. He that was dead was now alive. I want to tell you, church, when God speaks, dead things rise. When God speaks, dead things come back to life. You might have things that you feel right now are, are, are dead. Maybe you started 2020 off with, with a dream or uh, with a hope of what you thought it would be like, and all of that's changed. You feel like that's dead right now. But I want to tell you, when God speaks, dead things come back to life. Where is Bethany? Where is the village of Bethany? Well, it's on the other side and at the base of the Mount of Olives, near Bethpage, a short walk to the temple. And see, that's why people were excited. That's why a crowd had gathered, because this Jesus had made a dead man alive. It says in the Bible in John chapter 12, verse 1, it says six days before the Passover, six days before the triumphant journey into Jerusalem, Jesus came to Bethany. He came to where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. And if you go down to verse 9, it says, A large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there. And they came not only to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead. There was a lot of excitement about this. This is why the crowd was gathering. This is why the crowd was getting pumped and excited. In fact, it says in verse 17 of chapter 12, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet Jesus. That's why they were so pumped. That's why they were so excited. That's why the crowd gathered, because that which was dead was now alive, and they could literally see it with their own eyes. You know, the name Lazarus means whom God helps. Whom God helps. Jesus certainly helped him when all hope was lost, when everything was dead, well, literally, he was dead and buried. And I want to say today, as Jesus did that for Lazarus, he can do that for you. Maybe you're thinking it's all too late. Maybe with all this toil and all this trouble going on, you're going, man, my dream, that which I wanted to accomplish, I mean, it's too late. Can I say to you today, let him call forth hope in your life. Let him call forth hope healing in your life. Let the God who helped him help you. He is, as Jesus said at that time before the tomb, he is the resurrection and the life. He not, he, he, he's not was the resurrection and the life. He is, even today, the resurrection and the life. And in these times, I want to ask you, what do you need God to help bring back to life? What do you need God, to resurrect, to call forth. What hope, what dream, what idea? Friend, you would have thought of many things that 
how you thought, like as I said, the year would pan out. Let's take a moment now and really just pause for a, uh, for a few moments and pray that God would bring forth those dreams that you feel are lost back into reality. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Lord, people began this year with dreams and hopes and aspirations, yet for many they find themselves in a place where it feels perhaps like these have been lost. We know your word says hope deferred can make the heart sick. Lord, we know today that our hope is in you because you are the Lord who can make dead things rise. You can restore that which has been lost. And so we would ask you today to restore, to raise up, to call forth every dream, every vision, every purpose that you had for our lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. You know, before we close today, I just want to give people watching an opportunity to get right with God. You know, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Maybe you've been someone who's gone to church for a while. Maybe this is the first time ever you've become part of the church service. Friend, I want to tell you there is a God in heaven who loves you who died for you. He made a way where there seems to be no way. Would you give your life to him today? What does that involve? That involves turning away from your sin and turning towards God. You know, when Jesus rode that donkey into Jerusalem through the Golden Gate, as I said in the beginning of the message, he fulfilled the pro prophecy in Zechariah 9 verse 9. The Messiah had come. He'd come to bring grace and mercy and peace. And so we can receive that today. But we also have to remember that Scripture also tells us in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, that He will come again. The next time, He will not be on a donkey. The donkey symbolizes peace. It's not a, it's not a threat. It's a donkey. But the next time He comes, the second time He comes, it will be on a white horse. The first time, mercy. The second time, for judgment. The righteous judge. Written on his robes, the Bible says, will be the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. Friend, don't wait for that day. God's grace and mercy is available to you on this day. The Bible says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Would you like to give your life to him. The Bible says he knocks on the door of our heart and if we would open it, he would come in. Let's pray. If you want to do that today, let's pray together. Just bow your head. Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I come to you today a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and Lord be the master of my life from this day forth this I ask in Jesus name just before I go let me pray this blessing over you and your family the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine on you 
and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.